This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. We're starting to fill up the pool in the backyard, and um, you know, there's a lot of time that goes involved. We usually have one when we have one that we take down every year, and we have to put it back up. We pulled it out of storage over the weekend, and we started putting it up. And there's a lot of pieces to it, and it takes a lot of time. And so we start filling up the pool, and it gets, you know, I don't know, a little less than a quarter of a way on the way up. And then we notice there's a there's a small little um, slice in it, so we have to stop. Uh, I didn't have any patches, had to go get patches. It takes 24 hours to cure. So finally cured, and now we're filling it up again. And we do it in spurts just because we're so busy and we don't want to leave the water running in case there's a problem or whatnot. The the hose isn't just running continuously. And so on and off, on and off. And then it was high enough that my kids were able to put a RC boat in there. And they're racing around in this RC boat. And then um, my oldest, of all things, um, decided that it might be cool to actually see the, the boat crash into the side wall. And he went headfirst. And the bow of the boat actually punctured a hole into the side of the wall. So clearly that this liner is at its end. So now we have to patch it again. So we ran out of time. We couldn't do it for a day or so. We finally did it um, actually yesterday. So now we got to wait 24 hours to cure it. So the younger kids are complaining because their expectations were that they were going to be swimming by now. And obviously there's things that get in the way and, and that happens in life and they don't understand fully that some of this stuff takes time. And of course, putting it up, there's a lot of man hours, right? Like, and so there's definitely some, some hurdles that you have to get through to get it to completion, right? And so obviously the people listening to this makes complete sense, but set the expectations for a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a, and a 10-year-old um, is a little bit different, right? But an I, you know, kind of idea for this podcast to actually share a story prior to all my hockey experiences that I have now, especially with four kids on the ice, um, I was huge into scuba. And I'm still big into it as far as um, passionate and the number of years that I've um, done it. I started it tw- uh, when I was 14 years old, and uh, I was teaching scuba only up to maybe three four years ago again. A lot of experience, uh, restarted my scuba dive log multiple times over I you know wouldn't doubt that there's definitely over 2,000 log dives at some point and then in the pool dives because of teaching and definitely two three thousand dives in the pool I've uh, taught hundreds and if not thousands of people throughout the years I team taught a lot of that because we worked for through a scuba shop um, and then when I got out of the military, I worked for a scuba shop full time for a couple of years. And that was a lot of fun and experience. Um, you know, every single day uh, I was scuba diving and, I, and sure, I'm in the Midwest, but uh, we were in the pool most days during the week. Sometimes we did go out to the quarry if during the summer months, midweek. And then on the weekends, of course, that's how I made money. Right. And so we just scuba all the time. So. Maybe in this podcast, I should bring up more scuba stories in those classes because uh, the, some of them are entertaining and some of them are lessons learned, uh, both not only for the student, but for the instructor. You know, we've had hose blowing, we've had inflator valve stuck so you could rush to the surface, all kinds of stuff that we've had issues, out of air scenarios. 
you know, being deep and then running out of air on one of your tanks. I mean, there's so much that we could share for lessons learned as well as positive experience, smiles in the face, uh, opportunities to scuba dive the whole world. But this one particular class, I want to talk about expectations as we're, uh, you know, people have a, a preconceived expectations, kind of like my kids with this, like, can't wait to get in the pool thing. And I, I, I definitely appreciate their ambitions, excitement to get in the pool and start swimming for the summer. Uh, but obviously there's expectations there that we have to set because of some hurdles we run into. So we had the scuba class and a husband and wife come in and we have a big class. It was like eight students or six students or something. And there was just husband and wife that were by themselves in that class. But uh, we kind of joined together as a group and we all learned together. And so he loved, the husband loved the idea of scuba his entire life and always wanted a scuba never created the opportunity or time or didn't have the money or whatever she wanted nothing to do with it but he was dragging her along this happens a lot so this is nothing new she's getting dragged along she's like not really sure she's doing it because um he wants a companion wants her to be involved and i think that's fantastic um and so he he can't contain this excitement yeah from the day he signed up because i was the one that met him in the store coincidentally and then i ended up being one of the two instructors um that we had and we had a dive master that was with us too and so the excitement was so great he showed up and at least an hour it, it probably it could have been two hours for our, all i know prior to the class the first night and he just roaming the store probably mentally taking the taking it in all this excitement about what kind of equipment he's going to get and where he's going to go and travel the world and his wife is probably just dragging her feet trying to figure out why we're here so early and uh obviously uh, uh this is all good stuff right good for a lot of th- reasons and so the class starts big smile on his face you could tell she's nervous as hell and she admits it on top of it she just said i don't know about this she she keeps talking about it and he tries to give her hope that things will be just fine we're going to start out in the pool anyways and we're not jumping anywhere deep it's just going to be very comfortable zones of increasing the connection with you and the scuba equipment and breathing underwater so we get to the pool deck you could still tell his excitement and he's eager to get in the water and put all this equipment together and he's just nailing it the first time through he's just he's done a lot of study and he's doing a great job and she's being real shy and slow and asking for help and 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 usually this is definitely a sign for scuba instructors they when we go through teaching classes and then also our updates they talk about students like this right so you could pinpoint usually the shy ones usually the one with the issues usually and i'm going to tell you a story here in a moment where it's flip-flop but um and so it just tell teaches us to actually pay attention to those who need more a little bit more help to make sure the experience is a little bit better so so we're, we're working through it. So now we, we're in, a, um, in the pool. We're in three feet of water. Um, it's a huge ledge, um, big enough for you to actually do exercises on it because they do that in the pool too. It's just, it's just a large area, three feet. There is an edge that drops down to eight feet. And so that's a, um, later in the course, but we stay at the three-foot platform. When we teach scuba, and even for those who try scuba, we go step by step by step. We don't push the envelope until we go through each one of these steps. And the reason why is because people have this mental mindset that they can't breathe underwater. And so it could create a bigger shock if you rush too fast. Um, Those without fear, especially kids, could jump in and like, what do you mean? I went to eight feet and the first time I put scuba gear on. It's not the safest thing in the world, but some people don't have fear. But we take baby steps, right? 
basically the way we started off is we 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 slowly get in the water we put our fins our mask on weight belt if needed um we usually do in three feet of water there's this huge pressure towards the surface that pushes us up out of the water prime example of that is take a beach ball and try to push it underwater and let go of it or a volleyball basketball whatever it automatically the force of the water pushes it up some people have fun games with it too it's the same thing with scuba equipment we don't sink like a rock um, when you go deeper eventually you will um, and that's where buoyancy comes in and uh, you have to control that but we put our uh, weight belt on we put the vest on we you know, buckle everything up, make sure everything's snugged up and in the right spot. You don't want hoses tangled anywhere. So you, you were just going step by step. And so, um, the, so the first thing, at least I do scuba instructors are, they vary by personality. A lot of them end up doing the similar things. They may do exactly what I'm talking through right now. Some may do it completely different and that's fine. It's just personality and their experience and maybe who taught them how to do something. And so the first thing I, I do with my students is I put the re- have them put the regulator in their mouth. This could be a huge experience change for them because they're putting this mouth guard in their mouth. Many of them, most people have not worn a mouth guard since high school, uh, if at all. Um, usually some type of sport involved uh, a mouth guard, whether it's to protect the teeth or minimize concussions of some degree. So now we're putting this mouthpiece that has a little hole in the middle of it so that it's actually a little bit bigger than normal. And so it could be a little bit weird to put it in your mouth. Um, some of them will be fine, but some are, you know, it just depends on your mouth size and whatnot. So that's an experience we go through and we start breathing off the regulator. I have them push the purge button a couple times so they can kind of get an idea what that pressure feels like. So they push on it and then feel like a burst of air that goes down their throat and then how to prevent some of that air going straight down their throat. Uh, usually after the first day, they're usually burping the rest of the day. Um, so burping is usually common uh, cause of the forced air, uh, but or or side effective if you want to call it that. So so the breathing, you could tell she's really nervous. He's like, man, let's just keep going. I want to get in the water, right? Like this is slowing me down, right? So. The next step is um, we put our face under the water. We are just um, basically like if we were putting a face mask on without going over our head. So basically the water line goes up to right where our hairline is. So we put our face straight down. We're not actually dipping down. We're just kind of leaning over, putting our face straight down in the water and getting the bubbles to go past our cheeks up to our ears, so to speak. And this is just really to get used to the bubbles bouncing off your face. Some people really don't like this at all. This is uncomfortable. So we're, what we're trying to do is get past that uncomfort zone, but we're still standing in the water and you're not completely submerged. Then at that point, we end up usually either doing a semi-squat or uh, we take a knee in the three-foot plat- um, ledge there that um, and you go submerged. So most heads are underwater, but... The reality is, is your head is only underwater by by eight inches or so uh, to your chin. That is um, your top of your head is usually only two to three inches. Sometimes if you're a bigger person, taller, that is um, that it may be you, your head may still be bobbing out of the, the top. Right. So it's very controlled. You could stand up if you feel uncomfortable. And this is where it all began. And so wife actually eventually starts enjoying it you could tell she's got big smiles on her face she's actually holding a little bit of air in her lungs which is normal for anxiety and then she starts floating a little bit that's completely normal it happens when when there's a little bit of excitement going on and anxiety all at the same time 
the husband starts, you can see his white eyes a little bit more, and things aren't going as planned for him. The expectations are not matching what he had in mind. And so he couldn't get past putting the face in the water, and, and we tried to just submerge in, in general because he thought, well, maybe I could get just a little bit lower so I don't feel those bubbles. And that didn't work, and he always had this slight panic as soon as he went underwater. Um, I did have another instructor in the class, which was great, and a, and, and a dive master. There might have been two. I don't remember, but there's always support in these classes. Plus, we have certain ratios we have to keep in mind for safety reasons and, and, and actually to keep in accordance with standards to teach scuba. And so the other instructor and dive masters actually went over with the other and, um, students and just started moving along with the class so we're not holding them up. And then for two hour, the entire two-hour pool session that we were there, maybe even it was two and a half hours, we could not get them submerged. We tried everything, and I've had a lot of experience with individuals in this situation, and we have had almost 100% success. Most in scuba instructors do. People eventually get used to it at some point within a couple hour period. They really do. Now, they may not be comfortable swimming underwater and then they have ear issues because of anxiety. They may just have to ha- come back to another day. Uh, usually, we work it, work it out. It's just something new that people have to go through. And we worked an entire two hours and we tried all kinds of things, taking the mask off, breathing without the mask um, at the surface. That is right. Just putting his face in the water, just trying to get acclimated with the water. Nothing worked for two hours. He just really had this anxiety. And then he just after two hours and the other class was pretty much done. I was like, well, we gave it our best shot. We can have you come back, but you're not going to continue with this class. We'll just have to rearrange another class, which is fine. We, we're happy to do so. Uh at this point, though, every time we make an attempt to go underwater, the wife is going down just breathing normally, and she ends up just loving the scuba thing, and she thought it was the, the, like one of the best things she's ever done in her entire life, but he couldn't do it. And so um, he had a gut check. He ended up canceling the class that evening and asked for a full refund, which we gladly did, right? Like the experience wasn't what his expectations were, and we gave him the money back, but but my whole point of this whole story is he had a certain expectations. They weren't met. And then what path we go down? Similar to my kids, kind of like, okay, the expectations were to be swimming by now and we're running into issues. We got a half a pool of water and they can't get in. And which, you know, leads to health insurance. That's why I'm bringing this up. We have those expectations and we talk about these expectations on the podcast over and over again where people think that health insurance should actually be covering certain things and then they end up not. And they just throw up their hands or they just throw the card on the table like and like somebody else is paying the bill because it's like an open credit card without a Visa or MasterCard logo on there. And there's a lot of ridiculousness that comes out of that. But let's talk about something that came up literally in this past week. I talked to a client and then in this case, it was the owner that they're paying all this premium, a ridiculous amount of premium according to them. And, and obviously we could all agree to some degree on that. And uh, all these things should be covered. Okay, okay, what should and should not be covered? So we had to dive into it. So they did a bunch of homework. They actually did a whole bunch of stuff before they even called me, which is fantastic. Most people just give up from the word um, go where all of a sudden they have an issue. They want somebody else to solve it. But they put some skin in the game, which is fantastic. A lot of people don't. And so... The issue was is that the communication between the provider and them was it's a wellness exam. 
it gets sent to the insurance company. The insurance company applies a deductible saying it's technically not a wellness exam, even though it's it's a checkup, so to speak. And so there's a lot of confusion because there's language involved, there's billing codes, and there's just craziness that occurs at that point um, than people's head spins. And so what's the definition of wellness and what's covered and what's not, right? And and I'm not going to get into what is and what's not, you know, um, it, it, it can get really technical. The Affordable Care Act came out with a laundry list of wellness ex- uh, exams that are covered at 100% by the insurance company. But again, there's no free lunch. So don't think that the insurance company is just doing this for free. It's built into the premium. You're, it's the same thing with our taxes, right? Like we get roadways and, and help to the poor and all this stuff. It's paid for by taxes. There's no government money going anywhere. And so the same thing with insurance companies just not shelling out money to cover this because the law told them they had to. All they did was incorporate it into the health plan premium and then you're paying for it. So so there's these 5,000 list of wellness benefits, but there's so many other wellness benefits not covered. And one real life example that happens more times than not, you get an exam that's not normal for your age bracket or your gender for that matter, especially these days. And so all of a sudden they have this big issue and things are not, they're covered, but it's apply your deductible because it's considered diagnostic and it's not considered wellness, especially if you don't have a copay. If it's a sick visit of some degree, if that's how it's billed and you have a copay, generally you're responsible for the copay. A lot of entrepreneurs, they go with the higher deductibles, get the premiums down. Um, they're a little savvier budgeting money, which is part of the issue where all of a sudden they're paying out claims that they weren't expected because they budget a certain amount. And all of a sudden that's exceeding that because most entrepreneurs are usually at least from 100,000 foot. They're good with money. They're good with budgets. They see where money coming in. And most entrepreneurs that have been in business for a number of years, there's a lot of people that don't even know what their bank account is. never balance a checkbook. And that's a totally different animal. Maybe we get a consultant on here to talk through some of that and try to help some of the entrepreneurs that we work with and listen to this podcast. So they were expecting these claims to be paid and they weren't. And now they communicate with the doctor's office. They swear up and down their wellness exams. These are normal for them, always normal. I hear the story all the time. Um, and they claim they submit it as, as, it, as such as a wellness exam. The insurance company says, well we're just going to apply this balance to the bill. And they're just saying, well, we had expectations because we're paying all this money. What are we really paying health insurance premiums for if this is being denied? Uh, What is really health insurance, right? Like we're going through all this because they're just aggravated at this point. You know, it's like, well, what's the point of having insurance if they're going to pay this claim? I might as well just cancel insurance and pay the claim. Well, that's fine, right? So uh, I always say that, if it was only the doctor visits and prescription drugs that we had to pay for, it would be cheaper to pay cash. Um, I don't care what anybody says. Health insurance was never designed to cover all that stuff. Even prescription years ago, you paid cash, but it was a lot more affordable. Pharmaceutical world took off, and there's a lot of blindfolds, even in the government level, that they're not attacking because they're paid for by lobbyists. And prove me wrong on that, anybody listening. But there's too much money in healthcare for sure. And so we buy health insurance for the more expensive claims. That's the way it should be designed. We just got used to all the stuff and bells and whistles covered. Unions came involved and they wanted all these benefits. You get sweet benefits through the union. Now they've tailored back because the cost of healthcare is caught up to them too, but still their union benefits are fantastic. Um, A lot of company plans are like that, especially when 
they're compensated well enough on the premium level. So there's times our office gets calls and says, my employer just increased my premium. Is it cheaper for me to go elsewhere? Well, they find out that they're for them and their family, they were paying $50 a paycheck and it's going up to $100 a paycheck. And they thought that was ridiculous. And then when we tell them what the real market is like, they're like, wow, I guess $100 a paycheck isn't that big of a deal. So anyhow, it's just about expectations, right? And we have to just kind of comb through it and and figure out where our misstep is, right? So let's talk about these claims, right? So we're reviewing the documents. We're trying to figure out, okay, why is this happening? If there's an expectation of wellness and they're not paying it and supply your deductible, then, you know, where is it out? This is, this is what we found when we delve into it. And this is very common. So this may address your situation. Some of the procedures were outside of the normal wellness exam, just outside of it. And they were not part of this huge list that was provided. Doctor's calling it wellness because he wants it to consider a wellness. He's telling you it's a wellness. You believe that it's a wellness. You trust your doctor, right? He wears a white coat and went to school for many years, right? So why would they perform a procedure that was considered wellness to them and then not be covered by insurance and considered a diagnostic? It must be the insurance company's problem, right? Not necessarily. There's a lot of issues that come with that, but just because the expectations there doesn't mean necessarily it's the right way to do it. So some of the claims were just built different, um, differently uh, or incorrect to the procedure. I don't know how else to say this, but intentional or unintentional, and there's insurance fraud that occurs at claim time. And so providers will game the system to see what's getting paid. Most people are provided by group health insurance plans and they're reasonable or high expectations of good coverage and it's covered. And so providers will game the system thinking that, well, we have like an 80, 20 chance, 80% chance of things will just work out just fine for them and they get paid more. So they try to game the system. Now it could be, you know, common practice and it's not really fraud because they have justifications behind it. And that's a totally different topic. But, but I do believe that there's some intentional insurance fraud because there's bigger purses to pay the bill. And so Usually there's less out of pocket for the patient, but in this case, in these claim situations we're talking about, it wasn't the case. And so we had to dive into it and figure it out. But in the end, we had some bills reclassified to be paid by the insurance company. So they saved, I don't know, hundreds of dollars with those claims. And then there was other ones that they had to go back and had a conversation with the provider why they were billed as a non-wellness exam, but they're telling them it's a wellness exam. So there was an educational process that was going on between the patient and the provider at that point. And then during that discussion, they worked out a cash price, which was better than the discounted price through the insurance company. So with our expectations, we have to jump in and learn more. We can't throw up our hands or expect things. In this case, the couple did put some skin in the game. It's just that there's experience tells me that certain words are tossed around in the billing office, the provider office, and the insurance companies that doesn't resonate with the with the patient. And the, in fact, in some cases, they're red flags to me. Uh, for example, like even if outside of claims, you call your provider office and ask them if they take Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance because they're the biggest name in the country. And they said, oh yeah, we take Blue Cross Blue Shield PPO. And if that's what you're picking, that's true. But you know, like most states, the PPOs, there's like four or five different PPOs that are available. Which PPO do they take? 
uh, unless they take all of them, which is rare, but it could occur, um, you may have to dig into it a little bit more. So that's a red flag for me when they say, oh yeah, we take Blue Cross PPO. Okay, what specifically, right? And so the same thing with claims, right? We have to get very specific at times. And so there's a lot of trust with the provider, but, and that's where I default and go back to, we learned this in the military, it's called trust, but verify, right? You don't want to alienate or go against um, a senior uh, personnel, such as your boss, supervisor, you know, uh, like in this case, it's the doctor, right? You don't want to violate trust because they'll fire you if they feel like there's, there's no trust involved. So you just have to verify the information. I, I, but I do say also that, you know, just because they went to school all, you know, uh, all these years, right. Um, they still put their pants on the same way. They still think and, and speak the same way as I do, right. They just went to school for something specialized that I don't have the trade for, but it doesn't mean that I can't do the homework to validate some of this stuff, right. It's my body and, and it's my family or whatever the case might be. Like you have to have skin in the game to figure this out. You're going to advisors to get these advice, but you can't always, you have to verify the information. And so just because they claim that the doctor is saying that, that it should be a wellness exam doesn't mean that it's going to be a wellness exam. You just got to think a little bit more outside the box, right? So just have to validate the information a little bit more. Um, and usually you could educate yourself in the process and at least stand out. Um, the pro One of the problems we have in healthcare is that uh, we don't get an estimate up front. We have no idea. We go to the doctor and we don't know what was done or built until it's done. Like your car, you take it to a mechanic. Most of the time they provide you an estimate. In some cases, you have to sign off on it too, saying, hey, based on what you're telling us, this might be the issue and this is what we're going to do and this is the estimated cost. In healthcare, that doesn't happen at all. You just get the bill and all of a sudden you're like, who's this Joe Schmo guy that uh, claims that he did an examination? I mean, nobody sh showed up to my room or, you know, I only saw the pr nurse practitioner. I didn't see this doctor. Who's this doctor, right? Now, and it goes into another thing where whether it was intentional or not or if they review things outside the patient room or not, like, but those are things you have to find out. But we don't get anything in advance, and that's a problem, I think, and, and providers take advantage of it. So you have to dive a little bit more into it to make sure that you're not overbuilt. And so now um, you should be able to go back and, and take some of those claims that maybe previously apply to your deductible and analyze a little bit further and maybe change your expectations a little bit. And, and just like my kids, you know, they're going to be able to swim in the pool at some point. They just may not meet their expectations right away. If you own a business, Elite Benefits of America wants to remind you that health insurance open enrollments are either happening now or coming very quickly. And this is the time to review and implement a health care plan to make or keep you as the employer of choice. Deadlines for open enrollment range between November 1st and January 1st. Get ahead of the curve. The Small Business Special Enrollment Period, part of the Affordable Care Act, now allows employers with 49 employees and under to offer health benefits without contributing a dime to the employee plan. Help your employees save money on taxes with health insurance they're already paying for with their hard-earned dollars. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006.